Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. All presidents say they want to bring the American people together, according to Dr. Andrew Polk, an associate professor of history. Some 20th century presidents turned that mission into a concerted, God-centered effort of the federal bureaucracy. Polk's new book, Faith in Freedom, Propaganda, Presidential Politics, and the Making of an American Religion, lays out the evidence, some of which you may have already witnessed, especially if you're a baby boomer. We'll hear about it after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. An exemplar of both health and human performance will be saluted with one of MTSU's top honors. Andrew Owusu, professor and graduate director for the Public Health Unit within the Department of Health and Human Performance, will receive the John Pleas Faculty Award at a ceremony slated to begin at 5 p.m. Wednesday the 23rd in the James Union Building. The event is part of MTSU's celebration of Black History Month. Owusu's research interests include adolescent health risk behaviors and protective factors, childhood lead poisoning, and school health policies and practices. He secured more than $895,000 in external and internal grants in support of research and service over the past 15 years. In addition, Owusu is an eight-time All-American and three-time Olympian in track and field. As a coach, he assisted the late MTSU track coach Dean Hayes since 2004 and continues in that role today. He served as a team coach for his native Ghana at several Olympic Games. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Andy, welcome and thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. You say that trying to promote a sort of civil religion in American media actually started with Franklin D. Roosevelt. How did that come about? That's right. Uh, we hear about this. It's, it's in the news, uh, especially now in the past few years, the idea of the, the rise of Christian nationalism, uh, as if this was a, a new movement, the idea that, that Christianity is at the heart of America. And people have traced that traditionally to kind of the 1970s, 1980s, the rise of the religious right and the moral majority. But what I found is that even in the 70s and 80s, most of what was coming through the, the Republican Party and through uh, white evangelical movements was mostly a repeat, uh, almost sometimes verbatim, uh, quoting from uh, uh, policies and uh, campaigns that happened in the late 1930s and especially 1940s and 1950s. Uh, and, and surprisingly, at least it was surprising to me, uh, that really started with uh, FDR. He was uh, convinced that America needed to enter the Second World War before Pearl Harbor. Uh, we had the first peacetime draft in American history, and he was trying to find some way to unite the American people behind this idea of America, in essence, going and saving the world. And, and what he figured out was, well, you can't talk about race, you can't talk about gender, you can't talk about class, you can't talk about ethnicity, these things are too divisive. But what he decided, being a good Episcopalian and a part of the uh, ecumenical movement at the time, was that in the end, all Americans are either Protestants, Catholics, or Jews. And, and really, those are all the same thing, he thought, that at their heart, they had these, what was really a new term. They had Judeo-Christian principles. That, that term was never really used until the 1930s. 
But he said, that's what Americans all are. That's how we're different, but all united together. And so he used through uh, trying to work with different religious leaders and organizations, uh, and then eventually kind of skirting around them, he, he told the American people that that's what we are at our heart. We're religious people. Uh, that, that God and, and, and the nation go together and that they were going towards specific purposes. And, and that's the part that was unique and, and troubling, that all of this was not just rhetoric, wasn't just ideas, it was for political purposes. Uh, and, and that continued throughout the Truman and Eisenhower administrations as well. And with FDR, did that contribute to uh, the total mobilization or total uh, unification of effort on the home front and abroad that was necessary for the United States to produce the personnel and material necessary uh, for World War II? Not really. He sure tried, but he wasn't very good at it. Uh, so even before, like I said, entering the trying to get America to at least move towards entering the war, uh, he tried several times. He had a press conference where he tried to convince the people that the Soviet Union was really for religious freedom because they didn't allow religion to be preached and therefore it could be lived out in other ways. And he was he was mocked mercilessly for this uh, through the national press. He tried a different time with a theme that became pretty prominent, uh, was used and just words replaced. He said that really the, the Nazis were the greatest threat to America because they hate our religion. Specifically, they hate our religious freedom. And that if we don't stop Hitler, then the, the God of peace and justice, the cross that we worship of Jesus, uh, would be replaced with a cross of, of blood and iron. Uh, and that the Nazis wanted to remove all religion from America. So we have to fight to defend religion. That didn't get a lot of traction either. But after Pearl Harbor, this idea became really prom prominent in the military. Uh, there were revivals throughout the military uh, continuously, uh, some of which actually got away from them a little bit. They had what were called general services. Uh, they were designed originally for Catholic priests to be able to give Protestant services. It's just a general religious service. But what happened is that, uh, especially away from home bases, when you actually got to the, the war front, uh, more commonly Protestant ministers would just give religious services, including for Catholics and, and Jews. Uh, they would serve Holy Mass, the equivalent of it, um, because they said, but in the end, we're all the same. We're all Americans. We worship the same God. We love the same God. And so that's where it is. So there was some mobilization of this uh, on the home front with the Office of War Information uh, in a group called the War Advertising Council. Uh, this was a bunch of advertising executives. They were worried the government was going to shut them down, honestly. Uh, and so they went to the U.S. government and said, let us help you. We know how to get the message out. We know how to convince people. And so you tell us what the message is and we'll convince the American people. And one of the more consistent ones was this idea that we are all the same. We are all united because we're all Protestants, Catholics, or Jews, and we all worship the same God, that that is what America is. So there was some movement of this in the war, but not the way that the Roosevelt had envisioned. Uh, and most of that was because religious leaders just would not cooperate with him in the way that he wanted. Um, Protestants had to remind him 
the Federal Council of Churches was the largest uh, kind of gathering of especially liberal mainline Protestants. They had to remind him they didn't represent all Protestants in the nation. There were tens of millions of other Protestants that were not a part of their organization and kind of hated them. I mean, this was all news to him. He didn't, he didn't know this. So it was kind of a bumbling effort at the beginning, but it was really uh, Truman and Eisenhower that took it to another level. Before we leave FDR, I'm wondering if any of uh, this mentality he was trying to promulgate found its way into uh, things like the Why We Fight films that were shown in movie theaters. Yes, part this was part of the, the overall zeitgeist of this. Um, and most of this was through, uh, again, the War Advertising Council. So the, the, the other group, the, the Office of War Information, it was originally set up by Roosevelt uh, that he didn't want explicitly no propaganda at all. Uh, and propaganda was, we use this and think of it as uh, like foreign influence and something that evil that other people do. It was just talked about as the way that you convince people what to believe or what to do. It, it was common. He said, we're not going to do that. There was too much of that in the First World War. We're just going to give the information to news media, and then they're going to tell the story. That lasted like three months, and he decided that uh, they weren't telling the story right. So the Office of War Information partners with the War Advertising Council, uh, and that message, yes, became this idea of why we're fighting, of who we're fighting for, right? The four freedoms, one of these was religious freedom to, to worship as we will. And this became a definition of America. That's what America was and what we were fighting for. Uh, the, the trouble came in that period when the Office of War Information uh, touched too much on race, uh, that they actually addressed the glaring hypocrisy of fighting for freedom though black Americans were fighting for freedom that they didn't have at home, they, they tried to address this directly. And in essence, Congress shut them down, uh, especially uh, Southern uh, senators were incensed by this. Uh, and they, they took away what was called, it was the line for there in the budget, domestic propaganda efforts. Uh, and that uh, budget line was then moved to the War Advertising Council, uh, that it was said they, they just did this better. And again, they weren't, weren't explicitly government agents. They certainly weren't theologians. Uh, they, were, they were ad executives, they were admin, uh, but they knew how to get the message out. So yes, that became the idea of America as it promulgated towards the, the early Cold War. We'll take a break here, we'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Andrew Polk, Associate Professor of History and author of Faith in Freedom, Propaganda, Presidential Politics and the Making of an American Religion. 
So FDR was not terribly successful in trying to uh, foster this notion of a civil religion. Uh, how did Truman and Eisenhower pick up the ball and run with it? Well, Truman picked it up almost explicitly in the way that, that Roosevelt had tried beforehand. Uh, right before Roosevelt's death, uh, actually the, the group I told you before, the War Advertising Council, they were invited to the White House uh, for, quote, secret indoctrination talks. That, that's actually what it was called in, in the documents themselves uh, with uh, Roosevelt, with the, uh, what would become, we would call the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, with the Secretary of War, who would become the Secretary of Defense, right? They, they all got in a room so that every year they would have these discussions. And Truman picked that right up. Uh, the War Advertising Council just dropped war afterwards and they became the Advertising Council, called the Ad Council. Uh, Truman, Truman was convinced uh, right after the war that this, this move into what we would know as the Cold War, this, uh, this rivalry with the Soviet Union, this was happening very quickly. He was very disturbed by this. And, and Truman as a whole saw this as a moral fight. It was good versus evil. And so initially he again went to religious groups, especially the Federal Council of Churches. But as the, this new world order was, was coming, uh, everyone had, had ideas of what it was supposed to be. It was clear to most Americans, most everyone in the world, that the old way of doing things wouldn't fit in this new age, right? We're now in the nuclear age. This is death on an untold scale. So how do you manage all this? It's the beginning of the UN, the beginning of uh, the, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, right? A lot of things are changing. So Truman had an idea of this that, that the old tradition in America uh, that you do not have a large standing army. This is one of the, the only things that uh, the, the group that we call the founding fathers, right, really two generations, that they almost unanimously agreed. With. If you have a large standing army, uh, it will be abused. It's the greatest threat to democracy. So in American history, we have not had a large military, standing military. We raise up a force, we go fight the war. As soon as it's over, we dismantle. Truman was convinced that you couldn't do that after the Second World War. Uh, technological advances were, were too much. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't train people fast enough. So you needed a large standing army. So how do you go about this? Uh, he needed world cooperation, specifically against the Soviet Union. How do you do this? The answer through the Ad Council was, well, you just recycle the old language. Instead of Nazis, you replace it with the Soviets. And their greatest threat is to American religion. That's who we are. We have religious freedom they want because after all, they're the godless communists. What was really helpful with the Ad Council who was being financed through corporations and the government told them what to say, uh, that you could pair that rhetorically with the free market, free enterprise. So just as the godless communists hated religion, they also were an economic and, and political power too. And so that became the definition of America. The, the most explicit of these is this negotiation happens in the really 46, 47. There was a project called the Freedom Train. Uh, it was a partnership between the Advertising Council and a group called the American Heritage Foundation. Uh, which was Hollywood moguls and, and corporate executives and, and uh, especially conservative political operatives. And they got together and they decided that the purpose of it, as Thomas Darcy Brophy, he was the uh, lead executive from the Ad Council on it, 
it, its purpose was to resell Americanism to Americans, explicitly to define the nation to Americans. And Tom Clark, who was the attorney general, also a part of this, right? the, the U.S. attorney general was a part of this project. He originally wanted to define America as a land of equality. Uh, but of course, the problem was, as the Ad Council told him, you can't sell that in the South. You can't define America as equality in, in the American South, especially. Uh, it's too controversial. So they decided that freedom was better because freedom is vague. It's ambiguous, right? No one dislikes freedom. But what does freedom mean? Being free from oppression, from stuff, from it, it means virtually nothing. But they could pair it with freedom of religion and free enterprise. And the only way you keep those safe is to have a large standing military that can protect them from all the enemies. And so that became the transition out of the Second World War into the early Cold War. Uh, Truman still wanted the, the help, the use of uh, the, the different religious organizations, but especially the Federal Council of Churches, uh, the, the big split, they kept sending him policy recommendations, right? So this is a, a Protestant religious organization that keeps sending the president uh, recommendations of what national policy should be, what he should explicitly be doing. Uh, the, the prominence of the United Nations was the biggest one. They want to dismantle the military. And finally, they sent him one of these programs called a program for peace. And, and there's a hand copy of this in the archives where Truman took it after this meeting that, that had other documentation. As soon as the meeting was over, he thanked them for their, their words, for their thoughtfulness, for what they're doing for the nation. And then as soon as they walked out the door, he wrote on the top, uh, this document is as full of sophistry as a communist manifesto. Let's analyze <laughs> it for what it is. And he gave it to his aide, uh, Adams, and said, we're done with it. And so Truman moved from religious representatives to, to admin, to professional propagandists. And, and this move became just a national sensation. I reckon the freedom train idea sort of, sort of appealed to Harry in the beginning because he had conducted whistle-stop campaigns when he ran for office and he figured the train uh, before the advent of, of television becoming a national medium was a good way to get to every Middlesex village and farm and spread the word. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, when they would go, and it, this was right a real train that would, would go across the nation. Uh, it carried uh, Washington's copy of the Constitution, uh, Jefferson's copy of the Declaration, the Bay Psalm book, the Mayflower Compact, right? Major documents throughout the nation. And whenever it would stop, uh, they had what they called patriotic revival meetings. That's what the organizers called them. They would have the whole town come out and they would have, in essence, a, a religious revival, but the revival was about America's religiosity, America's faith. And so they, they defined this explicitly through that. But you're right, Truman thought this is the way to reach all the people. This is the way to convince them. It's also funny in a way because Harry cussed like a longshoreman yep. and said GD on more than one occasion. Yep. And not even his wife, Bess, could stop him. So That's right. it's a little ironic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he was raised, this is the same thing, FDR was an Episcopalian, uh, Truman was, was raised Baptist, but really disliked institutional religion. Uh, that's why he had several problems with the Federal Council of Churches. Uh, you know, famously Eisenhower uh, really didn't go to church uh, at all during his military career, uh, but then was baptized uh, in the Presbyterian Church, uh, essentially after he was, right after he was elected. Uh, yeah, there was, there was very little theology in this construction. It wasn't that people didn't have their own personal faith, but the point was not to read through the scriptures and find out America's providential destiny or a political theology that fits with the American system. It was to convince the American people to unite the people long enough uh, behind specific political policies. And that's the part of this process that I think is, is so problematic, especially in its legacy for today. We'll take another break here. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The book is called Faith and Freedom, Propaganda, Presidential Politics, and the Making of an American Religion by Dr. Andrew Polk, an associate professor of history. So Ike gets elected in 52, sworn in in 53, and... uh, I imagine that his credibility as the uh, head of the European theater forces uh, lent a sort of credibility to the notion that we need to beef up the defense to protect religious freedom, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was the the process until really Korea was uh, uh, the idea that was bandied about that really brought about part of this uh, continued involvement was something called universal military training. Uh, Roosevelt had originally proposed it. Truman was really on it. Uh, This idea that uh, America's young men should all have a year, not in the military, uh, but but military type training, technological training, so that they could be called up in in times of war. The the problem of this was that uh, America's mothers were, were against it. Uh, we don't think of this now, partly because of this process, but for the most part, when people thought of the military, that's where young men go to get corrupted, right? It, literally in the First World War and Second World War, that's where they go to get syphilis, right? They visit prostitutes abroad, they, they cuss and they drink and they gamble. And so there was a move to convince the American people, especially in health and education and America's mothers, that no, the military won't... Uh, won't be a problem for the moral health of these young men. It actually is a boon. Uh, And so the military itself created something called the Fort Knox Experimental Unit, uh, where they had, uh, they created a new type of army camp 
and they had these young men, all 17 through 19, come in. And there was a little church at the center of the camp. Uh, they had to go to worship services throughout the week. They had sex education classes where they were taught that God's uh, design for sexuality was for one man and one woman in marriage only. Uh, right. All of this was a way to tell the American people that if you go to the military, it's actually a boon. It's good for you morally. And their PR uh, committee was so expansive in the Fort Knox Experimental Unit that eventually the U.S. Congress convened a subcommittee to investigate and censured them for, quote, domestic propaganda at home because they just kept telling people over and over and over the greatness of the military and the moral core of it and how, how religion was at the center of everything that the military did. And, and when that happened, the military just took the money, transferred it to what they called the character education program and just started it again. And so all of this was developing. Uh, and when Eisenhower came on again, as you said, the Supreme Commander of Allied Forces, uh, he was convinced of this as well. Uh, but he was benefiting from the, the propaganda campaigns of his predecessors. Did any of these people Eisenhower was trying to cultivate feel betrayed when he preached against the evils of the military industrial complex on his way out the White House door? Some did, but that is the strangest thing. I, I In the book, I, I start off with this, right? This uh, speech, his farewell address where he warns against this. It's strange on virtually every level, because again, he's the former Supreme Allied Commander. The military increase was on his watch and by his terms, right? It, the massive expansion was because of him. Uh, and he, he also warned against caring too much about material issues in America. Again, he promoted these constantly and he used religion to promote both of them. So yes, there, there were some that found this very strange um, and may have felt betrayed, but the issue was the, that work had already been done, right? He's warning against something that had already been created uh, that beforehand would have been anathema in American history. So the, the creature already exists. So after you create it and feed it and grow it, and say, well, this, we probably shouldn't have this. Uh, it, it's, it's just past it at that point. It didn't really matter about the warning because everything had already been created. We'll be right back. The MTA Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms, there's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. Dr. Sekou Franklin, Associate Professor of Political Science, gave keynote remarks for the 26th Annual Unity Luncheon held recently on the MTSU campus. The long-standing event honors unsung heroes in the Middle Tennessee community. 
Franklin lauded their contributions while challenging all of those in attendance to advocate for those in our society who have their backs against the wall. Now we're in very challenging times. Today there is still a wall and there are those who have their backs against it. If the opponents to diversity and racial equity have their way, then they get the chance to build the wall. We must be vigilant in speaking truth to power and bearing witness, even when it seems that tearing down the wall is an overwhelming task. Creating a community of solidarity is important because it removes pessimism and isolation that often exists in our community. I sometimes explain to activists that we never want to convey the belief that we are helpless. Never. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.